0: Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am joined today by the two usual suspects somewhere in the town of Springfield. We have Ricky Le Blue. Ricky, what's going on?
1: Yeah, so um, obviously people that are listening won't see my vir- virtual background here, but I thought it was appropriate to put the Simpsons pitchfork meme as my background today because it seems like that's exactly what Virginia Tech Twitter has become. So, uh, We'll, we'll see if maybe we want to switch it up after um, after the Clemson game, although I think we're all going to have
0: kind of the same feeling. I don't think the Clemson game is going to move the needle on about anything, but that's yeah. okay. We're also joined live from a room with no fun background. We have Mike McDaniel. Mike, what's going on, dude? I have some thoughts. All right. <laughs> and we will get to those thoughts as soon as we Can folks Virginia Tech, yeah, they lost again for the fourth time in five games, all of which they were favorites. Times are pretty tough. The hokies embarrassed at Himes Field, and we want to talk about it. But first, we need to talk about the fact that you need to go to Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy is the New River Valley's pharmacy. If you're a patient that really cares about your healthcare outcomes, if you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, that is run by a guy that went on an angry rant to me about three quarters of the way through Saturday's game in person where he wouldn't let me stand up or leave to go to the bathroom, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Kautz and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, gentlemen, I said, In the podcast the other day, when we were previewing this Pittsburgh game, things can always get worse. And indeed they did. Yes, they did get worse. (laughs) The Hokies embarrassed at Heinz Field at the hands of a Pittsburgh Panthers team that was not known for their offensive output. Well, you know, you'll get known for your offensive output when you put up 47 points, a 47 to 14 victory for the Panthers at Heinz Field. Gentlemen, you know, one thing that's really been bothering me all throughout 2020 is how every commercial, especially back in like March, said in these trying times, in these troubling times. Well, in these troubling times now that have extended to the Virginia Tech football community, there's a lot of questions, and I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of answers. So, Ricky LeBlu, you got your background ready, so I will defer to you first. Just let it all out, buddy.
1: First of all, that was a great opening monologue. There, I really enjoyed that, Andrew. Um, yeah, look, Virginia Tech's not very good. Um, they're they're not a very good roster. They're not a very good coaching staff. Um, and quite frankly, there's plenty of blame to go around, Mike. I don't know why you're laughing. Like, what what about that was so funny? Just just the bluntness and accuracy <laughs> I mean, of your statements. Yeah, like they're they're just not a good team. They're not a good program um so let's let's kind of go through this um Virginia Tech was in this game right for the entirety of the first half and for part of the second half um there was a drive we were talking about it Mike you said it was their second drive after halftime yeah so Um, with
2: 1225 to go in the third quarter is when the goal line stand happened
1: yeah so Virginia Tech is basically down the goal line they're trying to convert it was a fourth-and-goal situation, am I right, where Virginia Tech went for it? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, so Virginia Tech does that. They, they fail, um, and then they proceed to absolutely get steamrolled by an offense that just flat-out isn't very good. Um, and this is kind of something I want to I hit on this podcast because we've talked plenty about the coaches and their problems, and um, I'd be more than willing to discuss that even further. But I think that there is this misunderstanding uh, in terms of Virginia Tech's fan base and, and, and in the media that this is all the coach's fault, right? That this, this, this rests entirely on Justin Fuente. This rests entirely on Brad Cornelson or Justin Hamilton or Vance Weiss or whoever. Well, guess what, folks? That's just wrong, okay? Virginia Tech quit in this game. They flat out quit. They they were outscored twenty four to nothing in the second half by a five hundred football team. That's not all on the coaches. I'm sorry, it's not. Um, I'm I'm here to to take plenty of criticisms about Fuente and and his staff and what he's done, and just about every single one of them is going to be valid. But at some point too, we need to talk about the players here, and they need to have some pride because. The day I do not want to see a repeat of 2018 where Virginia tech just flat out quit on, on the season. I don't want to see that. None of the fans want to see it. It's gross. It makes Saturdays absolutely miserable. We all remember that 2018 season, right? That, that season was just dreadful. There was almost nothing redeemable about that year. And we are dangerously close to repeating that same exact season. Um, this defense just flat out quit in the second half. I felt like the offense quit. I felt like the coaching staff did not make good adjustments in the second half. This was an all around failure uh, for Virginia tech football. And I think it's important to hold the players accountable as well, because ultimately they're the ones that are playing. And as many criticisms as we want to lob at the coaching staff for not utilizing their talent correctly or not making proper adjustments or creating a bad program, not adding enough talent. Those are all well and dandy. But at some point, when you're going up head to head against a guy, it's up to you to not get your ass kicked, right? Like, I, I didn't play high school football. I was a baseball guy. Uh, Mike, I know you played high school football. We saw that wonderful picture on your Facebook uh, that popped up on my feed. What was it last week? What did we, oh, what'd yeah. you play? What you play? Wide receiver?
2: Wide receiver and cornerback, and I was a kicker. Okay. all
1: right. So well, when you're playing wide out, you didn't just want you didn't just walk out there and let somebody kick your ass, right?
2: No, but I was the target of being my getting my ass kicked because I was all five foot nine. So so <laughs> am. But
1: the, but the point is, is that like you didn't just roll over. No. Okay. Well, these players are better than you, right? At, at every single facet of the game, and Fair. they rolled over. They they flat out rolled over and. I'm probably going to take some heat for that, but you know what? Tough shit. I'm not going to sit here and let the players get away with going out there and getting absolutely nuked by a Pittsburgh team that is lackluster in every sense of the word. And at no point this season has shown the ability to play competent football on a
0: consistent basis. Mike, you know, this obviously isn't a good place and You penned an article for SonsOfSaturday.com titled, very bluntly, It's Over. The article has gotten uh, a lot of feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. I think it's gotten probably a lot of good feedback. I have my friends texting me that don't even know you, but know that I know you and say, wow, great article by your boy Mike uh, this past weekend. Tell us where you're at after this loss.
2: Well, let me talk about the game real quick, and then I'll, I'll answer that question. So, I think Ricky kind of hit the nail on the head. Tech was in this football game. I thought, actually, the defense played pretty well in the first half, or at least the first quarter.
1: Yeah, um, they were able to get those stops in the red zone, which, based upon what we've seen this year, is about all we can ask for.
2: Yeah, and, and flat out, like, if they don't get those stops in the, in the first quarter and in, in the second quarter in spots, uh, Pittsburgh scores 60 points in this game. So I'd like to give the defense a little bit of credit for how they played in the first half. Now, that doesn't absolve them from the fact that I thought the defense rolled over in the second half once they realized the offense wasn't going to do anything on that day. Um, I, I think there's plenty of blame to be parsed there. I think Ricky's right. I think it's at some point, it's not only a coaching thing. It's a player's thing as well. Uh, the, the players quit on Saturday afternoon. And that's not something that we've been able to say all year. Virginia tech's lost a lot of games this year. And a lot of those games have been close with the exception of this game on Saturday, even the North Carolina game, you know, going back a while now, I'm going back to that game game. twice. I mean, tech came back twice in that game. Um, So the final score isn't indicative of kind of the way that that game went, it was kind of, back and forth from the standpoint of tech didn't really back down right once they were down they weren't out and they came back on two separate occasions in that football game this was the first time all year we really saw tech roll over and quit in the second half and it was disappointing to see that on a larger scale the issues that virginia tech had on saturday just kind of a microcosm of the season and and that's what i wrote in my article and that's that's kind of what i've been trying to hit on here is that there was nothing really to gain from Saturday's performance from the standpoint of like more information. That's like new and exciting. It's the issues that have played Virginia tech all year have been the same, or at least similar throughout each game. The linebacking core has struggled to tackle. Um, The defensive backfield has a lot of pressure put on them from the standpoint of Tech's front seven, can't get enough pressure on the quarterback. And the defensive line is having trouble with run fits. and, And that's just one side of the football offensively. This is an offense that, Uh, unfortunately, uh, is very very one-dimensional and very inconsistent and very predictable. And especially when they can't run the ball, they're exposed. Uh, The passing game is not very good. Some of that's on Hendon Hooker. Some of it's on the receivers for not getting open. But collectively as a unit, regardless of who you parse blame to, and and I know there's a lot of calls for Brad Cornelson's head, but regardless of who you parse blame to, it's a total, uh, total failure from the unit over the past month or so. This is an offense that's regressed since the early part of the season. It's an offense that, you know, the book is out on. I think people know what to expect from Virginia Tech's offense week to week. And I think that now that there's more film on Virginia Tech, most teams know, hey, if we load the box, even if we aren't a great rushing defense, if we load the box and find a way to stop Khalil Herbert, Tech's going to have trouble scoring. And that's been the case over the last month. Even in games when Tech has scored some points, They've struggled to be consistent in those games and be efficient. And that's been an issue over the course of the last month or so. It's a big reason why tech has struggled. Uh, Something's got to change guys. That's the, that's the broader theme for me. The fan base is real mad at, at Fuente and Cornelson and the coaching staff. And I, I agree with Ricky. I don't think enough blame is being put on the players. And I think people are, especially fans are afraid to criticize the players because they're kids, but I mean, this is what you sign up for when you're a division one football player, you're going to receive criticism um, from people who are being honest about the situation and the players haven't been particularly good. Now, does the coaching staff deserve blame for that? Of course they do, but you can't coach effort. And if the guys aren't giving effort um, and aren't giving it their best and they roll over and quit, there's only so much you can do as a head coach, because you can't dictate the outcome of the game. You can only dictate how well a team is prepared and you have to live with the outcome, right? We hear that said all the time across college football by not just Justin Fuente, but numerous coaches. You prepare in the best way possible and you try to put your team in a position to be successful. And then you have to let the chips fall where they may. And there have been some points throughout the season where I think the coaching staff has put the team in positions to be successful. And there are other spots where I don't think the team has been well-prepared. You think back to a Wake Forest loss for Virginia Tech, I thought Tech was well-coached in that football game. I thought they had a good game plan. I don't think they executed well, but I think they had the right idea, right? They were going to turn Hooker loose a little bit. Um, When they weren't able to run the ball successfully, they were trying to find other avenues to score, and Hendon Hooker just had a bad game. And the defense gave up points in a spot where they couldn't, right? And you can blame that on the players just not executing less on the coaches. Uh, But then there are games like Liberty where Tech completely blunders the end of the game and you look at it and you say, you know what, that's on the coaches for not having the players prepared for, those, for that type of situational football at the end of the game. And you can parse that on the coaches. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is that this program right now is in a really difficult spot. The team is not very good. The fan base is out on the coaching staff. And there are no easy answers. Everybody wants to fire Fuente and fire everybody. It's not that easy to pull the trigger right now. And, and the premise of my article this week and why I said it's over i don't mean it's over today i don't mean that's over on december 15th when fuente's buyout drops to 10 million and i don't know if it's even over like before next season or or at the end of next season i don't have those answers all i know is that this program right now under justin fuente we know how this is going to end we just don't know when and that's my point at the entire article i think fuente's tenure in blacksburg uh, is done from that standpoint i think it's going to be very difficult for him to recover And that's kind of where I'm at right now, just kind of observing this wholeheartedly just from the game. And then uh, from the course of the entire season, how things have gone.
0: And and understanding that, Mike, I'll turn to one of my metaphors now, because we are now the official metaphor podcast of Virginia. (laughs) Imagine and shout out to a a good friend of mine who's probably listening. You know who you are because you're my example in this story imagine you go out and you get like a serious like laceration like a cut on your body and it looks really bad but you don't want to go to the hospital because you don't want to pay the emergency room like $1000 copay and that and that's what it costs that's fine and maybe it will be fine and maybe the cut will heal itself and it'll be all good but there's also a chance that that cut becomes infected that cut doesn't heal correctly and you need to get plastic surgery and when you're dealing with an infection that might amputate your leg or a plastic surgery that costs thirty thousand dollars you're going to want to go back and wish that you had bucked up and paid that money up front so you didn't have to deal with the problems on the back end that hospital copay looks a lot less expensive on the back end than it does on the front end now you're Virginia Tech and you have Justin Fuente, and your fan base is out, and things do not look good, and the general consensus amongst a lot of people is, like Mike said, we know how this is going to end, but the question is, will the cost of a Justin Fuente lame duck coaching administration that could do damage to the program's prestige further, we could see a player exodus, it is going to be extremely difficult to recruit, you could alienate your big money donors you could alienate the regular fans who won't come to games down the road and you lose money in terms of ticket revenue you are delaying the rebuilding process and giving your new coach a larger sample size of lesser recruits to work with at the outset that all could do more long-term damage going forward than the buyout itself financially and otherwise So my question for you, Ricky, and I know this isn't an easy question, and I know that people like Whit Babcock, who are tasked to make the decisions, might not even have the perfect answer here, but given the way things are going, four out of five losses, and morale is just at an all-time low, might it be time to cut the cord? Might it be time to buck up that money and go to the hospital and try to rebuild this program from the ground up despite the cost?
1: I mean, it might be Um, from a football standpoint. I think that would be the most prudent decision. I I think cutting your losses and finding a new coach as soon as possible is probably the, the way that this needs to happen uh, in an ideal world. Problem is, is that this isn't an ideal world. It's 2020. Everything sucks. Right. And um, colleges are losing money hand over fist. So, we we were told earlier on in the year that Virginia Tech was going to lose upwards of fifty million dollars in revenue um, for the, or excuse me, in fifty million dollars deficit for this year. And apparently, that number has been whittled down to about twenty to thirty, which, first of all, is pretty impressive that they're able to cut out that much that much stuff out of the budget. Um, but that's still 20 to 30 million and when you think about what it would cost to get rid of Justin Fuente and um, exercise him from your program you have to think more about just his buyout right so his buyout is going to be about 10 million Uh, those will be paid in quarterly installments um but you have to think about his assistants whose letters of appointment generally run through June uh Virginia Tech would have to buy them out of their letters of appointments Andy Bitter of the athletic estimated that would be over 2 million then you have to think about how much you're going to pay the new coach right so are you going to pay him the same amount that you're paying Justin Fuente which is about a little over 4 million Are you gonna have to commit more than you're already committing now to assistant salaries? Which if my memory serves me properly, Virginia Tech's assistant pool is over 3 million um, in in assistance and support staff salaries. So where's this money gonna come from? Like it it doesn't just randomly appear. Um, And I think that that's, an aspect of the discussion that some people are just either a ignoring or B are too naive to understand the financial realities of how this, all this stuff works. This in the end, college football is a business. I mean, that's just what it is. And you can't just pull money out of your ass when you need it. Businesses can't do that. Uh, College athletic departments can't do that. Virginia tech especially can't do that because They don't have these big-level donors who can just randomly chuck out a few million here and not break a sweat. So I I, I laid out what Whit Babcock's options are right now, and I I gave three options. One, obviously, is to ax Justin Fuente and his staff, uh, do so December 15th as soon as the buyout drops to $10 and then you move on. Option two is really to stay the course, which financially is the least impactful decision, but probably hurts you in a lot of other ways. And then option three is kind of a hybrid approach where you understand that Fuente is stuck in Blacksburg and you really can't rid yourself of him. So Whip Babcock, would really have to start getting his hands dirty and he would really have to start imposing some real specific changes to – Justin and how he operates his program whether he likes it or not um and Witt can do that now the relationship between Witt and Fuente at that point would probably be pretty pretty awful um but I I think the best solution here is Witt's going to have to start demanding some some real specific changes in and try and, and help Justin heal himself because I think Justin is missing a lot of things right now i i I don't know all the reasons why but i think loyalty is part of it loyalty to his assistants um but i I do think that wick could help him help himself um and we saw a, a glimpse of that in 2019 with jerry kill and tech won six out of seven right after kill was hired i mean that's that's outrageous so I do, I do think that that option would make a difference. Now, is it going to put Virginia Tech where Tech fans want them to be? I don't know. Is it going to rehab Justin Fuente's image with the fan base and the donor base? Probably not. But those are all separate issues that Whit Babcock is going to have to tackle. But ultimately, there is no good solution here. None of these are easy.
0: And none of them were guaranteed to solve the issue. Mike, I want to ask you this, kind of piggybacking off of what Ricky said, the loyalty to the assistants. And we look at this Justin Fuente press conference where he he referred to the idea of perhaps him taking over offensive play calling as ludicrous crap. I think that's a phrase that might have some staying power in the eyes of Virginia Tech fans. What needs to be done? because is that something that does need to happen Do does core nelson need to be reassigned in terms of his responsibility does justin hamilton need to be reassigned in terms of his responsibility there's not a lot of great options here but i think that's the reality of where virginia tech is right now stuck with not a lot of great options I have
2: something I'm going to say here that's not going to sit very well with a lot of Virginia Tech fans, but I'm going to say it anyway because this is something that I've been thinking about for a while um, that I think may have some merit, and you guys might even disagree. I don't know. Um, I know you agree with this part, though. Virginia Tech, uh, the inability to secure the hire of Barry Odom was obviously something that was catastrophic, Because Virginia Tech is in a situation right now where they have a guy who was a position coach a year ago and a player development assistant before that in Justin Hamilton, now calling the plays for the defense, and he's in way over his head. Now, I don't want to harp on that too much because there's a lot of factors that impact that, and we've talked about it, and there's there's a financial standpoint of Tech not allocating the funds, which is a big deal. There's the fact that Justin Hamilton didn't have the opportunity of a full off season with these guys to really install. He didn't have the, the benefit of spring practice, which I think is crucial, obviously, to the development of these players, especially when there's a scheme change. Didn't have the advantage of a, a real full summer workout for his players. I think that's why you're seeing a lot of guys who are overweight, underweight, et cetera. You didn't get the full off season in the weight room. Fall camp was not normal this year at all. You had guys missing. You had guys out for weeks due to COVID. You had guys who just weren't able to participate. So it was a very weird off season. So I want to take all of that aside. And I want to say something on this podcast here regarding Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator job. I love Bud Foster. He's a hall of fame defensive coordinator. I'm not sure he should have been the coordinator for Justin Fuente in his first four years in Blacksburg. That's a theory I have. I don't know if it holds any merit, but my idea behind that is that when you do that and you have to undergo a scheme change in year five, in a very crucial year, COVID aside, it's very difficult to make that adjustment. You've got to recruit an entirely different class of players. We talk about the issues on the defensive line and in the linebacking core all year, all year long. Guys who don't fit the current scheme. You've got to recruit totally differently. This is a crucial part of Justin Fuente's tenure, and he had to undergo a major scheme change. And I think looking back on it, at the time, we sat there and we said, you know what, Bud Foster, it's great to have the continuity there for the players that are already in the boat, guys that uh, that Foster helped recruit, got to stick around. A lot of those guys ended up going to the NFL. We talked about Terrell Edmonds, Tremaine Edmonds, all these guys, got to go to the NFL, and they stuck around, and they were recruited by Bud Foster, and got to stick around with Justin Fuente, and that's great. But I think the long-term health of the program now, you've got a guy who you couldn't, you had to absolutely hit a home run on to replace, and they didn't. They didn't hit on that hire at defensive coordinator. And I think right now in year five, it put Tech in a very precarious situation. COVID aside, Barry Odom aside, you've got to hit that hire. And they didn't. And I think if you look back on the entire five-year tenure of Justin Fuente, and this is something we've talked about on this podcast before, I think that there have been too many assistants on this coaching staff that didn't have enough experience and instead had a lot of potential. And I think ultimately that's how we're going to judge this program.
0: Well, a, co- a couple things on that, Mike. First, I would say that, and, you know, it is somewhat ironic in, in a sense, because with the NFL caliber players that Virginia Tech had on their, you know, defensive roster in that defensive group going into 2016, names like Ricky Walker and Tim Settle would have probably adjusted a lot easier to playing a more traditional defensive scheme as they were bigger dudes on that D-line than, say, where we're at now, trying to make Gerard Hewitt, who's completely undersized for his scheme, run as a more traditional nose tackle. But second thing about that question, though, and, and this is kind of, I don't know whether I agree with this or disagree with this, but it is certainly a devil's advocate argument that I've heard in defense of Justin Fuente, is that people say this program lacks identity. And when you... Moved on from Frank Beamer, his retirement, which many speculate to have been forced, but you keep his legendary assistant defensive coordinator on the staff, and many of his previous assistants as well. You kind of have this one half new regime, one half old regime thing that if you're looking at how would be a really easy way when you're trying to create a culture change to cause a division. And, and, and that seems to be it. And as you mentioned, it puts Fuente in the precarious, and this is not a slate on Bud Foster because no one has anything nope. against Bud Foster. Nope. But, and it does seem like a no-brainer to keep Bud Foster because you could, even though the reality will show with once that elite group of defensive players in, in the Edmonds and, and Adonis Alexander, Greg and Tim Settle, all moved on to their professional chapter of their career, it became somewhat clear that Bud Foster might not have been the he was, he was no longer the best defensive coordinator in college football.
2: And the one other thing I want to I say, too, on that is that if we're being honest with ourselves, Virginia Tech's defense hasn't been exactly consistent over the last seven or eight years, regardless of if Foster's been the coordinator or not. And this isn't, again, this is, has nothing to do with Bud Foster. This has everything to do with the identity thing you were talking about, Andrew, and the fact that Virginia Tech now, everybody's asking in year five, what's the identity? And nobody knows what that is. And I think that that is a reason why. And that's something that's not talked about enough, in my opinion, and not a slight on Bud, but I think Fuente not having the benefit at the beginning of his tenure to install all of his own guys could be detrimental now looking back at it, playing devil's advocate, saying, all right, five years later, looking at it in hindsight, maybe Tech should not have gone
0: that route. Yeah, but in a sense, to some degree, the damage of that initial decision-making process was already done. and. And at the time, right, We I, I mentioned this last week, after 2017, there were literally national college football reporters talking about how Whit Babcock is a genius. And this transition was seamless. And, like, you know, they'll be writing books about this, how to replace right. a legend. But at the end of the day, the reciprocal hangover that you get from that. And, you know, I, uh, a buddy asked me, he that if, you, if it wasn't named the hookie hangover, what would you name it? I said I think we could call it the Beamer Hangover because (laughs) the the post-Frank Beamer Hangover that we've had with this program, the ups and the downs and, and how there's no identity and no consistency is, if you follow this team closely, glaring, right? And you are right, Mike. COVID has a big impact on that because now in year five, Justin Fuente's first year to really establish himself as this is my program, this is it. Well, It's COVID, and it seems like, you know, each game almost acts as kind of its own individual encapsulated event because of the variables that go there. And it's not ideal, but at the same time, we can look at this and we can say, all right, you lose four games where you're spread favorites. You're one of the worst teams in the nation on third down, you know, just this last game three for 11 on third down over three on fourth down when you are running the ball on third and medium to just because set up a shorter fourth and short because you're not confident in your basic passing game ability to do what it takes to convert there and you know it's all well and good when you're playing a team that's horrible against the run and Khalil Herbert's going to get 15 yards per carry and he'll just keep shoving it down their throat right but when we talk about why teams like North Carolina were so scary, it's because of how balanced they are. They ran the, they run the ball as well as Virginia Tech did at Virginia Tech's peak, but they also have an all-world passer. Well, Virginia Tech is quite the opposite of that. They are literally one-dimensional. And I don't know if that's the fault of Hendon Hooker. I don't know if that's the coaching staff's fault for not trusting Hendon Hooker. I don't know if that's the coaching staff's fault because their own offensive scheme recruits players that make that situation significantly more likely. But what yeah. I do know is that if you find, and football is all about matchups, well, if you find a team that might not be as good as you overall, but can match up with what your one strength on paper, you're going to have problems. And we have seen that all throughout this season with Virginia Tech losing to teams like Wake and Pittsburgh, who I think maybe Virginia Tech might be able to beat more times than not. If you played 10 times, you've played 100 times, but at the end of the day, you sell out. Khalil Herbert and it's a completely different ballgame and and I think the rest of the coaches in the ACC you know they're all smart well-paid people and and it didn't take them that long to realize that
2: yeah and I'm not trying to absolve Fuente and I want to I'm going to turn this over to Ricky here in a minute I, I, I don't want to absolve Fuente because this isn't I'm not parsing blame elsewhere saying okay that's the reason why Tech's in the position they're in it's not but it's a it's a contributing factor in my opinion that I think should be talked about a little bit more this major scheme change in year five. And why is this happening? Um, I think this is a small factor to why things are going the way that they are right now. That's not talked about enough. So I just wanted to throw that out there, throw that grenade out there and see if it blew up. And I'm curious now to hear
1: Ricky's thoughts on this. Um, uh, on your, on your point about Bud Foster from all accounts, Justin Fuente was not forced to keep him. Justin Fuente decided to keep him. And I tend to believe that story, given what I've been told by people who were around at the time. Um, so I'm not going to shift any, I, I'm not going to use that as an excuse for for Justin um, that he's, having a defensive coordinator change at this point at this critical point in his tenure because ultimately he knew what he signed up for when he decided to keep bud foster
0: ricky but is <laughs> that like a, i'm not forcing you like when your girlfriend makes you pick between going apple picking with her and going to the bar and watching sunday football with the boys where you're like no <laughs> no. no if
1: if whit babcock was forcing it on justin fuente then um I think we would have heard that early on in the process, even though Tech's defense was pretty good from the start. Right. Maybe um, that was the mistake though. It, right. Maybe that it, was it, the mistake. Well then, well then it's on Fuente anyway. Agree. Right. Um, the, I, I think the more important, important point here is you talk about the scheme change the scheme. Didn't have to change. Justin Hamilton played in the damn defense. Justin Hamilton coached in the damn defense. He didn't have to change the scheme, and as a coordinator, part of your job as running the defense is to adapt your scheme in air quotes to what your your personnel is. And Justin Hamilton clearly has not done that, so I'm not going to sit here and and say that Bud Foster's um, his presence is the reason why this team sucks in year five. This team sucks in year five because Justin Fuente has not run a very good program. He has, he did not hire a good person to place, but to replace, Bud foster, he has not recruited well enough to add serious talent to his pipeline. His coaches have not developed enough to get players to reach their full potential. Right. And they have not fostered a culture in which players are buying in and that's a two-way street it's on the players in that one uh, but that's why this program sucks in year five yes i agree
2: with all i agree with all that and i don't want it to be perceived as an excuse and it's it's not an okay. excuse i think this is a piece that ties into recruiting they have the wrong guys playing this new scheme now whether or not that's justin hamilton's fault for not implementing more of Bud's old scheme. I 100%
1: believe it falls almost entirely on Justin Hamilton for not putting his players in a position where they are best suited. And
2: that is an entirely different conversation. And I'm behind you 100% on that, but if they were going to have this scheme change and this is the way it was going to be not having the players to fit the scheme is a big reason why it's failing right now. So it's a two way street. It's either you don't change the scheme or you change the scheme, don't have the players to run it. Because right now, Texans in a position right now where I don't think they have the players to run what they want to run defensively. They don't.
1: If, if the, they don't.
2: They don't. And, and now, is, is that a Justin Hamilton thing where, oh my God, he's not putting his players in position? I think, yeah. I mean, there there are some elements of this that we saw in the Miami game that we talked about in the last podcast where we said, hey, look, we saw more man-free defense, which is what Bud Foster ran. Man-to-man coverage at the corners, free safety over the top, have that guy roaming on the an island and see where everything plays out. And let's see if the corners can defend the, the best receivers in the ACC one-on-one when it matters, right? Whether that's against Clemson later in the year, whether that's against Miami, whoever, let's see if these guys can defend some of the best receivers in the conference one-on-one. That's what Bud Foster bet on every single week. And that's what we saw in the Miami game against some of the most talented athletes that Virginia Tech's going to see on the schedule. We didn't see that against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's got some talented receivers too not on the skill level of Miami, certainly not going to be on the skill level of Clemson, who Tech's going to see in a couple weeks. And we didn't see that early in the year against North Carolina, who has the best receiving core in the ACC, in my opinion. So we haven't seen enough of the Bud Foster type elements to it. Now, Justin Hamilton, in my opinion, has the freedom to run whatever the hell defense he feels like running. But you should have known in a pandemic year when you didn't have the opportunity to fully install this scheme with the guys you have on the roster and fully get the guys to play fast, even if they're not a perfect fit for the scheme, You didn't have the benefit of a real off season, a true off season to get these guys caught up to speed on what you want to do in game, live in game reps, right? And live in practice. Cause you guys know this, once you get into a season, you're just game planning for the next opponent. You don't have an opportunity to really get better on a week to week basis, especially not this year when tech had to play nine consecutive weeks and then have the bye plugged in at the end of the year, at least in most seasons, you have the bye week somewhere in the early, the middle part of the schedule where you can improve some things, but tech didn't have a full off season, right? to really install this scheme. And then now they're trying to install it on the fly with guys who don't fit it. It's a disaster on defense. And we could talk about the offense. And there's plenty to say there. And I got plenty of issues with Cornelson and Fuente and stuff that Fuente said and all this stuff. But defensively this year, it's been an absolute nightmare. And it starts with the inability to secure a high level defensive coordinator in the off season. It continues with having a guy in Justin Hamilton to come into the system Um, and and be the the play caller on a full-time basis. And he's uh, a job that, number one, he wasn't ready for. Number two, he's in way over his head at right now. And number three, you don't have the guys that fit the scheme he wants to run. It is a disaster on defense.
0: Okay, but let's go even more macro here. I'm curious. Mike, a little more than a year ago at, at this point, you and I and our good friend Dave Perks and Jimmy Cleveland went in the rain and watched Virginia Tech Shut out, pit. And when we went into the offseason, we assumed that the momentum that came from that tail-end season's saving in-conference winning streak would carry over, and that with transfers, this was probably a better overall Virginia Tech football team, and quite simply, it hasn't been. So so where did everything go wrong? Was it because the only excuses I've really heard are chalked up to COVID issues. It went wrong in a few
1: different areas. Um, Injuries have been an issue again, and this is something that, quite frankly, needs to be addressed at the departmental level. I understand Mike Goforth has been around for a very long time, but Virginia Tech has had serious injury issues within their program for quite some time. And this, this goes all the way back to the early 2010s uh, towards the latter end of the Beamer area. The injuries have just kind of been out of control. Um, it's a, ultimately, I, I think it's a culture and a buy-in issue. Um, and I think that's partially evident by the fact that Virginia Tech quit in this game when they were not down by that much, and they certainly had a chance to come back and win a tough game on the road against a a mediocre opponent, and they just rolled over. Um, But I I think the biggest issue goes back to player development and evaluating talent on the recruiting trail. Um, If you go back and look at like the 2017 and 2018 classes, right, there's a lot of big names in those classes. Um, I'm going to pull up the list here, but guys like Dax Hollyfield come to mind. Guys like Quincy Patterson, um, Dylan Rivers, Taiwan Garbutt, uh, Devin Hunter, Nathan Proctor. I've got the list here. This is 2017, so these are the top recruits in the 2017 class. Devin Hunter, Nathan Proctor, Dylan Rivers, Taiwan Garbutt, Hendon Hooker, Caleb Farley. Dalton Keane, Sean Savoy, Robert Porche, Jalen Holston, Hezekiah Grimsley. There's a few more other names on there, including Rayshard Ashby. But all those guys that we
0: named there, how many of them are actually good? I mean, obviously, Caleb Farley yeah, outperformed expectations. Yeah.
1: So, so, yeah, Devin and Rashard Ashby, obviously, too. Devin Hunter never developed and he has off the field problems now. Nathan Proctor transferred. Dylan Rivers had an injury issue. Taiwan Garbett has had injury issues and hasn't developed into what I would consider a four-star talent. Hennen Hooker, I think, was a, a pretty good eval. Caleb Farley, really good eval. Drake Dullius, now. Uh, Dalton Keene, good eval. Sean Savoy transferred. Robert Porsche transferred. Jalen Holston hasn't done a ton in his time at Tech. Hezekiah Grimsley did a little bit. Um, we go back even further, Khalil Pimpleton, they let him go, not sure why, he was he was basically shunned out of the rotation, Rico Kearney, transfer, Zion DeBose just to, just opted out, he's probably going to transfer, Rayshard Ashby, we talked about him, Bryce Watts, transfer, LaCita Smith, that was a good eval, Jalen Griffin, hasn't done a ton, I mean, I, we can do this all day, and, and we can go into 2018, and it's not much better. So we all know Dax kind of led that class and Dax has not developed into the the leader that he was supposed to be. Trey Turner's been pretty good. Quincy hasn't, hasn't developed into the passer you'd hope he'd be. Jeremy Webb blew his Achilles out twice. Shamari connor has been pretty good. Alan Tisdale's been okay. James Mitchell's been pretty good. Armani Chapman has regressed considerably this year. Daryl Simmons hasn't contributed. DJ Croson, had his problems. Keyshawn Artis opting out. He's probably hitting the transfer market. Walker Culver, injury issues. He's he's done. Kim Good never even saw the field. Tawan Ellis, transfer. Nadir Thompson hasn't contributed. Cole Beck, it will remember that name. He hasn't done anything. Javon Beckton, dismissed from the team. Luke Tenuta, that was a good eval. Same with Christian Dersaw. John Harris, transfer. Jermaine Waller, good eval. Eli Adams, not much. Nasir Peoples, I'm not even sure if he's still on the roster at this point. Joe Kane. he's gone. Caleb Stewart, he's gone. And then you have the long snapper, Oscar Shadley. So this is an issue with recruiting and player development. And this is what it comes down to in every single program and institution. If you can't recruit and you can't develop your players and you can't get them to buy in, then you're going to win four games a year. That's how it is. And I don't know why Justin Fuente was able to get guys to buy in in his first two years, and they were able to overachieve in both of those seasons, and then he finally starts to get his own players into the program, and the, the on-field product has dropped precipitously
0: since then. Well, Freakier,
2: I mean, 100%. 100% I mean, when, you,
0: when you look at, I mean, Justin Fuente, those classes that you named, 17 and 18, and those were top. 25 classes yeah these are, 25. these are top 30 classes you yeah. know and and you
1: want to go to 2019 i mean the 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 data there is not much better so tech was 26th in 2019 doug nester um Jaden he has he's hurt brian hudson he's been okay jr walker been okay tavion robinson good eval Keyshawn king hasn't done anything really Jacoby Pinkney transferred, Nike Hawkins hasn't contributed, Jesse Hansen hasn't contributed. We can go up and down this list, but his first few recruiting classes, which are absolutely crucial to getting your program where you want it to be by year five, they struck out on a ton of guys. And this is the same thing that plagued Frank Beamer towards the end of his tenure. You go back and look at his classes. I wrote about this in 2018 when I talked about the root problems of Virginia Tech's issues all of those players who Justin Fuente did not recruit that were playing or were playing big roles, there were not enough of them that were upperclassmen. All of those guys that Frank Beamer recruited in the 2015 class, in the 2016 class before Justin Fuente took over, those guys were, hadn't developed and they were not contributing. And we fast forward to now, Justin Fuente recruited all of these players, he's
0: developed all these players, and too many of them are not contributing. Yeah, no, and there's certainly good players in there, but that's almost a data point against. You're always your, going to have a couple good players. I mean, I mean, because you're either, so there's a couple options, right? Either you are not good at developing players, like your player development plan doesn't work, right? And I think we can see with guys like Christian Tara saw. I think we can see with guys like Caleb Farley, I think we can see with guys like Dalton Keene, that when you buy in, it's all good. So then at what point are you not enforcing? buy-in enough are you making it too optional are you making it so that you have to have a certain extra drive to go the extra mile or are, are you are you just not recruiting the right guys like in terms of that mentality that desire to get better and either one of those answers doesn't reflect very well on the coaching staff and that's kind of how you find yourself in the situation that you're in right so people Absolutely. are asking
2: why changes need to be made. And I think this is an area where tech needs to make some changes in the recruiting department. Everybody's talking about the coordinators. How about we just overturn everything that's going on in recruiting, right? Like we're not recruiting well, so why keep those folks around? And I guess tech was trying to do that in the off season when they hired Jeron Gavea Winslow and Corey Fuller and um, Alex White. And, yeah. And, and tap. And like, these are the, these are types of hires they were trying to make, but like, at what point do you just need to be like, look, if this isn't going to work out long-term with Fuente anyway, why not be drastic? Now's the time to be drastic and make wholesale changes. People are getting after Ricky because Ricky said, demote Justin Hamilton. Look, I don't know what the right answer is, but if you're going to make that kind of change, make it now. Because Fuente is not going to be here past 2021 with the state of things right now, whether or not they keep him past December 15th of this year or not. If he's not going to be here past 2021, without making wholesale changes, make the wholesale changes, rip the bandaid off.
1: Who the hell cares? Give yourself a chance.
2: Give yourself a chance. Brian Kelly did that. He fired all of his friends after the four and eight year in 2016. Yes. People on social media were getting after me. Cause I mentioned that in the article that I wrote. And I I understand why, because they're like, oh, Notre Dame, they got the finances to do that, this and that. Look, that's not the point. The point is that he was willing to make those kinds of wholesale changes that Justin Fuente to date has been unwilling to make. It's the same thing Frank
1: Beamer did after 1992.
2: Rip the damn Band-Aid off. It's the same thing Beamer did. It's what successful coaches have done. Be a chameleon. Would Alabama be the same program they are right now if he didn't totally change the way they play offense?
1: Nick Saban made wholesale
2: changes. Yeah, he, he adapted. Yeah, the top coaches in college football make these types of changes. If you want to have a successful tenure with Justin Fuente and you don't want to pay that buyout, rip the Band-Aid off, Fuente. You got to rip it off. You got to fire Nelson. You got to figure out a way to get better recruiting, whether that's overhauling the staff or not. And I, look, the, the way that I look at it is wholesale changes are needed whether that starts at the top or not. It's not my decision. It's not any of our decisions. That's up to Whit Babcock and the board of visitors. We don't know what the hell is going to happen there in the next, you know, four to six weeks, let alone the next year. We have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know if the next two games really play into whether or not Babcock is willing to try to find the money to pay for that buyout or not. I don't know the answer to that, but look, something needs to change. And look, they're going to, they're going to Consider making a change at offensive coordinator, I think, with Brad Cornelson, I think that's the obvious change you need to make from the coaching staff standpoint. I think you got to find a real defensive coordinator. Justin Hamilton may very well have a bright future. He's talked about highly. And look, I, I don't know Justin Hamilton. And I, I'm not going to slander the guy because I don't know. All I can go off of is what I've seen on the field. And whether the players are a match or not, it's not working right now. And Justin Fuente, if he wants to continue being the head coach of Virginia Tech, he can't afford to wait on Justin Hamilton's scheme to come around. He can't afford to wait. He needs to find a guy who fits what he wants to do. He needs to find an offensive coordinator who brings a more efficient offense to Blacksburg, and they need to roll with it and see if it works. If Fuente is serious about keeping his job, he needs to make these wholesale changes and do it sooner rather than later if he wants to have any chance of being the coach past December
1: 15th. they cannot. They cannot run it back next year. They cannot run it
0: back. Well, a couple of things here. One, I mean, again – I don't think this is exactly rocket science, right? Like, the players don't fit the scheme, and that's kind of obvious, and that should have been obvious at the time. I don't know why you wouldn't have taken that into account at the time, knowing that though Justin Puente's seat looked a little bit more secure on January 10th than it did on, you know, whatever yesterday was, November 22nd you know that this fan base is giving you a very short lease. But secondly, and here's the issue, when you talk about wholesale changes, on the recruiting side. Yeah, maybe the guy that came up with the whole Texas to VT thing should probably go. That seems like a bad move. You've probably rubbed enough people the wrong way. I I actually went for a run today and I ran past a car parked outside the Merriman Center, a a big jacked up truck with a big Texas to VT sticker across the back back window. I'm like, wow, not good time to be flexing that. But at the end of the day, these people, like you mentioned Daryl Tapp, right? And Daryl Tapp had about three weeks where he could go see recruits in person before COVID came and, and change the face of that. It might be difficult to fire those people. So you probably have to start at the top, right? I mean, in,
1: in an ideal world, yes, Virginia Tech would part ways with Justin Fuente after the season. I, I, I don't know of a single person that is serious, that would disagree with that. Um, but again, this is not an ideal world. This is not an ideal situation. Virginia Tech has serious limitations that they have to deal with. And ultimately, it's going to come down to what Witt decides is is best. But if I were the athletic director, which God help you if I'm your athletic director, um, I, would, I would impose serious structural changes on Justin Fuente's staff and it would include moving on from Brad Cornelson it would include from offering Justin Hamilton um an ultimatum he can either be reassigned and go back to being a safeties coach or he can find a job elsewhere um i would seriously overhaul my entire recruiting strategy from top to bottom and on the marketing and public relations side, they need to go on a, a legit, full-on campaign to restore this coaching staff's image. Um, that's If you're going to keep Justin Fuente around, you have to do that. That's a huge part of it because the fan base, the donors, they've given up on this coaching staff. They've given up on Justin Fuente. They do not believe that he is going to turn things around, and I don't really blame them. But if you're going to try to solicit these people for hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, you need to try and pitch to them that these changes are going to put Virginia Tech over the top. That is your only shot at getting Justin Fuente's program turned around. And considering the financial limitations, I think that is the best course of action moving forward. I think they need to try and force Justin Fuente to make some changes that he may not make on
0: his own. Mike, I'm almost – I think we can leave after one last question that I have for you because I'm sure that we'll be able to do a more full state of the program evaluation at the season's conclusion. I don't think that anything that happens in the Clemson game is going to change anyone's opinion of what's going on, barring the crazy – I tell you what, Andrew, if they go out there and win that game, which isn't going to happen –
1: But if Virginia Tech goes out there and wins that damn football game, people are going to be so pissed off. It is going to be an absolute mess on Virginia Tech Twitter.
2: Yeah, you thought they were mad about almost beating Miami after the Liberty loss. Wait until something crazy like that happens. It's 2020, baby.
0: Well, if I go out and win the lottery, Ricky, you'll be getting a brand new car. (laughs) Uh, But, Mike, last question for you between the Clemson game and the UVA game. You know, we know that with this Virginia Tech fan base, we have people who the folks on the Tech sideline boards uh, refer to as PATTs, positive all the times. The positive all the times usually find a way. I'm having a hard time imagining how how they could find any positives of losing four out of five games, all of which you were a favorite in. But I want to ask you, what can happen in the next couple of games, maybe even include a bowl game in there, because we know that there is an outside chance that Virginia Tech could accept a bowl game with a losing record, given the changed rules due to the COVID thing. What would have to happen to create an argument that is positive about, you know, optimistic about the program going forward? And what would that argument be?
2: Well, there there's not gonna be an argument that that changes the narrative over the next two games. I mean, if you're out on Fuente, you're out on Fuente. If you still believe in him, you're you're at least at the current state of affairs with the program, your judgment's been clouded. And I'm all for supporting the players and supporting the coaching staff, but when people tweet at me and tell me that I need to be more supportive and write something that's more supportive of the players. I had a few people tweeting that at me today and I quoted them and I couldn't believe that they were saying that to me. Giant
1: eye roll. Giant
2: mega eye roll. It is, it it is insane. When, when I get those types of responses from, uh, from folks on social, from, from folks on social media that reach out to me and say that I should be writing a certain way I don't tell you how to do your job and then so their argument is so why, why are you telling them how to do theirs I because I'm watching with my two eyes as somebody who is an alum of the program and somebody who has a podcast about the program and writes about the program and follows the program Pittsburgh had 16 players out with the COVID protocol They were 108th in the country in offensive yards per play. They put up 556 yards and 47 points. If you're okay with that, be my guest. I'm not okay with that. I'm writing about it. Something needs to change. And If people don't want to read it, then don't read it. But I'm just telling the truth as I see it. I'm giving my opinion on the matter, and you can either take it or leave it. So what has to happen over the final two games? Virginia Tech just needs to play better, right? flat out, play better, show some fight over the over the next two games. That's that's what needs to happen. It's not going to win back anybody. Nobody cares. People want Fuente gone yesterday. Nobody cares about that. But if you're a player on that roster, you got to play hard for the head coach if you believe in what he's doing and don't want him to be out the door after that UVA game. Because I'll tell you what, if Tech gets blown out by Clemson and loses by a couple scores to UVA, I think Fuente's out. And that's my opinion. I think he's out. That's not inside information or anything. I just think four and seven, looking the way that they have in some of these losses down the stretch, if that's indeed the sequence of events and how it plays out, I think they find the money and can them. I don't think that's that's in the best interest of the program financially, but I think that's what will happen.
0: Well, like I, you know, it goes back to the metaphor I made at the beginning. You know, at four and seven on the year, you can start thinking that the upfront cost of paying the buyout now is probably worth it in the long term, because I mean, that could really, I mean, God knows how bad that will be. Then we might actually get a real angry mob of sorts. But yeah, like you said, Mike, it's college football. And you know what the goal of college football is to win the games that you play. And when you lose four out of five games that most of which you were expected to win, that is a legitimate cause for ire. And people you know, like us who follow the program who write and make podcasts about the program. And I think for the three of us, this holds true. As alumni of the university, we are emotionally invested in the program and we don't want to see it go downhill. Obviously, it's like one of our favorite things. So yeah, in the words of Hendon Hooker, if you want to come at us, kick rocks. But I think that'll do it for us here at the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex, Mike McDaniel, and Ricky Blue. You got anything to say to the people before we let them go? Rate, review, subscribe um so that way mike can't say that go
1: read mike's stuff uh read my stuff listen to andrew's radio show um and god get off of twitter sometimes because it 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 can be it can be a pretty crappy place sometimes i know that you know we all have to be on twitter to to market ourselves but at some point you just got to walk away sometimes and catch a breather so to all you fans out there, walk away, go grab a beer, go grab some whiskey, go eat a taco. I don't really care. Just get off of Twitter.
2: Rumors are flying. Don't believe everything that you read.
0: And I'll keep it positive. I'll say I hope you guys enjoy your Thanksgiving. Yes, happy
1: Thanksgiving.
0: Yep. yep. Terrible year. But, uh, you know, I think it's a year that has allowed us to appreciate the company of friends and family all the much more. So go ahead and do that. If you're doing it virtually, do it virtually. If you're not doing it virtually, go do it in person. I don't really care. Uh, I trust our listener base to make the safe decision that is right for them individually. But yeah, that's going to do it for us. Andrew Alex, Mike McDaniel, Rick and Follow us on Twitter. Follow the podcast on Twitter at can Like us on Facebook page is called hokey hangover podcast subscribe to the podcast it really makes it easier for us to get the message out leave us a positive review if you like what you're listening to it's crazy but as the team gets worse our listenership goes up and as much as we like more listenership we also don't like the team being bad so we hope you stick around through thick and thin at this point but yeah tell your friends who like the team to you know that this podcast exists and that you're enjoying it and you know word of mouth a very powerful thing we'll be back later this week and i hate to make plans while we're recording but we're going to do a basketball preview right gentlemen so yeah basketball preview.
1: yeah definitely i mean that's probably the only kind of uh enjoyment
0: tech fans are going to get in athletics for for the foreseeable future i i think that it's actually not a bad thing that we, with basketball we have medium expectations where I at least personally think they might exceed them a little bit a lot better than high expectations where they flounder at at the end so yeah hopefully we got a good basketball season to look forward to and we will preview that entire thing a lot of new faces some familiar faces it's going to be a lot of fun year two of the Mike Young era get your popcorn ready but until then enjoy your week go (laughs) hoagies